Hi, and welcome back to The First Fill. I'm Q Nguyen, Director of Content Development here at APHA and your host for today's segment on the American Medical Association's June announcement on, well, the denouncing of body mass index or BMI as a measure of obesity in relation to health outcomes. Let's chat about the many limitations as this change may invite a new paradigm of practice. Firstly, there is no assessment of body composition when looking at BMI. It doesn't differentiate between fat, muscle, and bone mass, and assumes that height and weight alone is an accurate indicator of health, disregarding factors like muscle mass and distribution of fat, which can vary significantly among individuals. As a result, individuals with high muscle mass, such as athletes or bodybuilders, may have a high BMI despite having low body fat and being excellent health. Conversely, older adults or individuals with low muscle mass may have a normal BMI but still have excessive body fat. Secondly, this leads to neglecting regional fat distribution. BMI does not consider where fat is distributed in the body, which can be an essential factor in determining health risks. Accumulation of fat around the waist or central obesity is associated with a higher risk of various health conditions such as heart disease, diabetes, and metabolic disorders. So as a result, the individuals with a normal BMI may still have, again, excessive central fat, putting them at a higher risk of health problems. Thirdly, it doesn't account for individual variations. People have different body shapes and proportions. BMI uses a one-size-fits-all approach. Fourthly, it doesn't account for age, ethnicity, and gender biases. It was originally developed based on studies involving predominantly white populations of European origin, and it does not accurately reflect or represent health risks of individuals of different ethnicities. Per the CDC, non-Hispanic African-American adults had the highest prevalence of obesity, almost at 50%. Again, this is for the US, followed by Hispanic adults at nearly 46%, Caucasian adults at 41.4%, and then followed by Asian adults at 16.1%. So we went from African-American adults to Hispanic adults, Caucasian adults, and Asian adults. However, an often cited study from 2011 investigated the optimal BMI and waist circumference thresholds that are an indicator for cardiometabolic risk. This was held in the US, and they observed that African-American women with high BMIs had less metabolic risk than their Caucasian counterparts with the same BMI. Another way of putting this is that the optimal BMI thresholds to identify health risk were 30 in white women, but 32.9 in African-American women. There were no different um, ethnic differences in men. On the opposite end of the spectrum, Asians may have an increased risk at lower BMIs. The Nurses Health Study, for example, tracked patterns of weight gain and diabetes development in 78,000 US women. Um, they looked at it across different ethnic groups as well. And after 20 years, researchers found that at the same BMI, Asians had more than double the risk of developing type two diabetes than their Caucasian counterparts. So lastly, BMI inadequately assesses the overall health and impact of socioeconomic status. It doesn't take into account 
other important factors related to health, such as genetics, lifestyle choices, diet, physical activity, and other underlying medical conditions. So two individuals with the same BMI can have drastically different health statuses based on these factors. The cutoffs used may overlook some patients who are at high risk and would benefit from preventative care and early intervention, but they potentially may not get that care because their lower BMI says, hey, you're in good health, go, go you. So given these limitations, it's important to recognize that BMI is a basic screening tool. A more comprehensive evaluation of an individual's health status is needed, taking into account regional or visceral fat distribution, waist circumference, body composition, lifestyle choices, and genetic factors. Even with all these exceptions, BMI will likely be here to stay in the meantime. Just as blood pressure tells us about cardiovascular risk, BMI is a piece of the puzzle that can shed light on cardiovascular risk as well, but also other conditions such as endocrine disorders, cancer risk, and maybe sleep apnea. It can be used as a trigger to lead to more comprehensive evaluations. And I'm sure that we'll be hearing more research on the application of BMI percentiles and their association with other measurements soon, as well as risk factors and health outcomes. We'll be sure to keep you posted, but in the meantime, for us, consider BMI in combination with body fat percentage, waist circumference, and the waist to hip ratio as a way to screen and predict weight-related health risks, setting up referrals, for example, where needed. I hope you found this helpful and we'll see you at the next segment. Thanks so much for joining.